Welcome into the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. This is Chuck Zada alongside Mark Schofield here on Tuesday, January 12th. And talking to you today about the NFC wildcard games, those two games on Sunday. First one obviously had that heart attack finish. Second one, a little less competitive, but maybe we still learn some things about the Green Bay Packers as they advance. Would like to welcome in Mark Schofield now. And Mark, uh, good to talk to you today. Good to be with you, my buddy. How you doing? Um, I'm good. I'm good. And, you had a big uh, day. Big day. It's uh, you know, it's, it's it's sadly a situation where you know, for me, you know, that I do view myself as uh, a key member of the kickers' union and uh, had to kind of defend the union a little bit today. You did, but you got a new title, NFL kicking expert. That was kind of nice. <laughs> it's uh, it's interesting, given that I have neither uh, kicked in the NFL nor do I view myself as an expert. But I'll take what I can get. Um, but I guess I mean I guess it makes sense to start there, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's something that you know, and if if you're not familiar with it, we are talking about the Blair Walsh miss uh, at the end of the Vikings game, uh, which essentially catapulted the Seahawks then into the divisional round. But this kick, I want to talk to you a little bit about what I saw on it, and specifically three issues, and really it's it's issues with each part of the battery. Uh, the, the first issue we talk about the long snapper. Long snapper's job isn't just to get the ball back to the holder. It's to try to get it back to the holder in such a position that he doesn't have to do a lot of work with the ball. So ideally, you want the ball coming back, having laces up so the holder can simply take it, place it, and not have to spin it. Okay. Second thing you saw, you saw holder Jeff Locke take the ball, laces going back, didn't make an attempt to spin it, and I don't necessarily blame him for this. It's, it's cold weather, he's wearing gloves on both hands, his hands are not necessarily uh, as accurate and precise as they would typically be, and the worst thing you can do to a kicker is give laces off-center at contact, because then you just have a, a contact point that isn't necessarily flat and, and straight through the target. So I don't necessarily blame Locke for this. I do think it's another area that you run into a uh, potential for a mistake down the road, though. And lastly, you come to Blair Walsh, and I, I got to tell you, I, I, I feel for the kid more than anything else because yeah. it's, you know, there's a quote from Stephen Hauschka after this game who pretty much said, look, if you kick long enough, eventually you run into a situation where this happens, and there's, there's no way around it. it. It happens to every single kicker at some point. It's, it's, it's unfortunate for him. I feel for the kid, and... You know, you look at his stats along the along the course of his career, had a tough year in 2014 last year, bounced back with a very solid year on field goals here, and I'll tell you, the way that kid carried himself after the game, answering every single question the media asked of him, says a lot about where I think he can go in the next couple of years. It's going to take a lot of work. I mean, this is this is the type of thing I'm imagining he's not sleeping for a couple of weeks very well, yeah. and, and he's going to have to bounce back from it, but I can tell you the character he showed... You know, it, it, it says something, I think, about where he can go heading into next year. And if I'm the Vikings, I don't simply cut bait here. I, I, I think I look to see what I'm seeing from him in the offseason because you and I both know if, if you need to replace a kicker, you can do it in the preseason with no problem. You, yeah. you, you see plenty of guys that come in off the free agent wire. I, I think, you know, you don't simply cut a kid because of this. I think you bring him to camp, see how he's kicking. And, and look, I, I, I really hope that Blair Walsh is able to put this behind him because I look at him, he's got a good leg, he's got a good head on his shoulders, and, and you want to see a kid like that succeed. 
Yeah, I wanted to kind of dig in a little bit to the first two elements of the the battery there. I mean, we saw the missed kick, and you've got the great article talking about the plant foot. But, I mean, I think a lot of people initially focused on the holder, but they missed the fact that, like you said, the snapper plays a role in the laces. Well, he does. And and I think a lot of people probably saw Ace Ventura and said, oh, it's, you know, it's, it's the holder's job just to get the laces right. Well, it is. The holder has part of the responsibility there. But when you're talking about an NFL caliber long snapper, the job they have is to get the ball back in such a position that that holder doesn't need to do a lot of work there. So what you're talking about is typically you'll be timing snap to hold times on that snap there. And and generally, snappers have a pretty good idea of how long it's going to take to get the ball back there. And so what they try to do is essentially match the rotations of the ball to how long it takes to get back there. It sounds kind of mind-blowing to you and I thinking, well, how, how do you match the, you know, how many times the ball spins? But when all you do is snap a ball for two hours a day at practice, you, you get a pretty good feel for it. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing here, and this was an issue all day, is you had a snapper that was wearing gloves as well in cold weather where you don't necessarily have a good feel for the ball. And unfortunately, because of that, you ended up in a couple situations where you had snaps that gave the laces to the wrong side for the holder to put down. And right. and and I think, you know, this is a situation that no doubt on that sideline after the first time it happens, the entire battery gets together and says, look, if it happens again, what do we do? Because you're not going to simply surprise your kicker or surprise your holder. You're going to say, look, there's a decent chance this may happen again because of the conditions. How do we handle it? And you talk it through. And my guess is they came to the conclusion where they said, look, if, if you have to give me laces, give me laces and I'll deal with it. And, right. and the problem is you can only play with fire for so long because, you know, when you see it over and over, you sit there and you say, well, it didn't catch him this time. But is it going to happen on the next one? And in particular, you know, something that you also have to bring into this, the, the kick right before that for Walsh was almost blocked by Sherman, by Richard right. Sherman. And you wonder, did he try to speed up his mechanics just to get a little bit quicker, knowing that Sherman's coming off the edge in a key situation? Does he speed things up a little bit there, and does that cause the issue? You know, it's, that's possible, too. I don't know. It's, it, you know, you often talk about how when you're looking at a quarterback, you can't tell exactly what he's thinking. You can say what happened, but you can't say exactly why. You know, it's, it's similar in this situation. We can, I can go and tell you, what happened on this kick, I can't tell you exactly why. Is the simple answer here, and, you know, after the game ended, you get on Twitter and you see, you know, guys out in Minnesota that are out there in their jeans and their, you know, Vikings jerseys, and they've got this, you know, somebody holding a ball for them, and they're like, look, I can hit a 27-yard field goal. Is the simple answer here just that when you're in an NFL game and you've got 11 guys trying to block a kick, you've got crowd noise, you've got, you know, the conditions – that even a 27-yard field goal in that situation is a difficult kick to make or at least has some level of difficulty to it? Man, it's, it's, it's not even just it being in an NFL game. Just the very action of having a snap and a hold is completely different. I'll give you an example just from my life. First time I ever kicked a football with a snap and a hold was the first practice of my sophomore year of college. I had never played competitive football before that. So we go out, and we're sitting there, and we have our starting long snapper, who also happens to be the team captain and a senior, out there snapping the ball. I line up, and no joke, so the, and I had, you know, I had been practicing all summer. I thought I was going to come in and you know, be this all-star kicker that you know, ended up going to the NFL. So I said, you know, I, was, I was ready to go. 
Snap comes back. Holder puts it down. What do I do? No, no joke. I drill this ball right into the middle of the back of the long snapper. It hits him, hits him. I, I still can picture it. He was number 68. It hits him right, right in between, right in between the six and the eight. And it's just because, look, yeah, I can put a ball down and say, okay, here it is, you know, go kick it. But when you have to get that kick off in 1.2 seconds and you don't know exactly where that ball is going to be, and then you throw in that it's cold, it's windy, it's a nationally televised game. You've got, you know, you've got, all these different factors. You've got laces facing you. Richard Sherman is coming off the edge. He's six foot three and quick. And you sit there and you say, I got to deal with this. Look, it's easy for you and I to go out and take five field goals. And you'll probably make four of them from uh, 27, having never kicked a field goal in your life. But it's different when you're out there. I'll tell you, it's, it's almost a surreal experience being behind that line because really what you have there, I mean, it's, it's a kind of cool feeling because you have nine guys just blocking for you so you can do your job there. It's, it's a really, really cool thing to be a part of. But I'll tell you, you, you get some nerves that go through you, and, and there's no doubt that that's happening, not just on that kick, that's on every kick. It's just about how you deal with them. Yeah, and what's interesting is I've got a kind of my own perspective on this. I mean, I was a holder for three of my four years in college, and you know, my sophomore year we had a game at Williams, our big rival, and we hadn't beaten Williams in years. The previous year we lost one forty nine nothing, and we had a twenty nine yard field goal, I believe, basically at the gun to to beat Williams on the road, and you know it was a cold day. It certainly wasn't like it was in Minnesota, but you know, snap came back, put it down. Got it down right, and the kicker just pushed it and missed it. Talk and to, talk, go, go ahead. Talk to me a little bit about because you were a holder, so you're right at the middle of this thing. You're acting with in, interacting with both the long snapper and the kicker. How does your relationship develop? Because you're you know you're you're working to try to make this thing work between both of them. How, how does that relationship work for you as a holder? Well, I mean, basically the way I kind of viewed it is you've got to be the guy that can most minimize the errors that could possibly happen. For example, you know, when you're talking to those snappers, like either in practice or, you know, warm-ups in the game, just telling them, look, you know, if you're going to miss, miss high, okay? Yep. I mean, that's kind of what I told the guy because if you've got a low snap, you can t- kind of, you know, trap it and just, you know, prop it up. But then you're probably you're going to miss, you know, the, 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 the landing point because, you know, you kickers, you're, you're aiming for where you expect the ball to be. I mean, it's not a situation where, as you know, I'm going to get the snap and put it down and then you start. Once that ball is snapped, you're already taking your steps. So you expect that ball to be where you've walked off from. Yeah. So my goal, no matter what, is to get it down to where I am. So I've got my left arm braced against my right leg. I mean, my left arm braced against my left leg for a target point. I'd like the snap to be a couple of, you know, say maybe, you know, eight inches to a foot above that. But if you're going to miss, miss high. Because if you miss low and it's bouncing around, it's a lot tougher for me to get it back to where it's supposed to be. I'll just try to prop it up as best as I can. And then when I'm talking to the kicker, it's, look, you know, how do you want it? You know, most kickers, like you put in your article, they want it actually angled not backwards towards the kicker, but more towards the holder. It gives them more of a, you know, contact point with the football. So basically, I'm kind of the middleman between both guys and saying, look, you know, I'll do what I can. If there's a, you know, a mistake on the front end, I'll do what I can to get it in a position for the kicker as best as I can. But if there's a low snap, you got to be able to adjust yourself a little bit. So, you know, your, your swing or your swing plane is going to be a little bit altered because it might not be where you expect the ball to be. Oh, absolutely. And, and I can tell you, I'm sure you did this too, where 
you would you would practice bad holds as well, just so the kicker at least has some experience. So you know yeah. the, the coach would come out and say, okay, put this one lying on its side, or put this one yep. six inches to the right, just so you can adjust that and figure out you know kind of what you need to do if that worst case scenario happens. It doesn't mean you're going to make it, but at least you've seen it before. Right. And you, you say that and that's exactly right. I mean, I'm sure you guys did this. We did it. It's, you know, you practice a low snap and you really just, you know, get the ball up as high as you can. It's nowhere close to where you'd want it to be. Sometimes it's like, you know, almost like, you know, 30 degrees off the ground. Basically. Oh, yeah. But you're just trying to get it at least off the ground. So the kicker has something he can strike with. So, you know, snappers, kickers, holders, it's a tough you know, it's a tough little mechanism. It's a tough little assignment to carry out in perfect conditions. Well, and look no further. I mean, you remember when was it? Was it oh nine or two thousand ten with uh, Tony Romo? How far back was that? I mean, that was a chip shot too. That was, oh gosh, that was. I think it was two thousand nine. Maybe it was twenty ten. It, it was somewhere back there, but yeah. you know, it's it's. And, and look, we're talking about NFL players here, so right. you expect a certain level of. Of, of qualification and competence there. But the fact is, at any level of play, at any position, you're occasionally going to run into problems just because no one is perfect. It happens at, at kicker, it happens at long snapper, it happens at holder, at quarterback, every single position. And unfortunately, when you talk about a kicker in this type of situation, you know, it's magnified. Every, right. a, everyone's looking at it. No one is thinking. And what, what I find interesting, I saw on Twitter an awful lot of people that said, Walsh choked or Walsh did well look Walsh has missed kicks the kicks this short before he has he's, he's only missed one but he's missed a kick this short before and when he missed that kick no one was saying Blair Walsh choked no one was saying that Blair Walsh couldn't handle it this is just a case where look you are going to occasionally miss kicks like this those conditions make it more likely and that's why that's why I say more than anything else I, I feel for Blair Walsh because again every kicker goes through this it's just that it, it happened at the worst possible time for him, and I feel for, you know, especially you look at, you know, the way that the internet is structured today with Twitter and everyone having a voice in this and that. It can be good in some senses, but it can be, it, you know, it's, it's going to be tough to deal with that afterwards, and that's why, you know, again, I say I feel for him more than anything else. Yeah, exactly. I and, mean, you know, like you've said, Walsh has missed kicks like this before, and it's just magnified because it's at the end of the game. Quarterbacks miss throws in the third quarter or the second quarter, and they get forgotten, and everybody remembers the missed kick. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I look at it, and especially I take this stance yesterday. Look, Walsh went three for four, and, and that's the fact. The, the miss came at the end, but that's just, you know, it's the nature of the beast there. Let's turn quickly to uh, the Green Bay game. Green Bay yep. against Washington, and this game, you know, if you, if you look at the final score, you say 35-18, Green Bay ran away with it if all you're doing is looking at the scoreboard. When you take a look at how this game actually unfolded, what was your sense as you were watching it? You know, it's funny, and, you know, I went back through, I watched a bit of the game live because I'm in the D.C. area, and then I went through the tape today and, you know, and, and reading articles last night and today, there was a lot of, all you know, the Green Bay Packers, they made the adjustments that they needed to make. Their offenses, you know, they look a lot better now on offense, especially in that second half, and, you know, there's a chance that maybe they go into Arizona, they can pull it out. They're getting back to where they were. And I don't know if I left that game w with questions answered or just with one more simple question about the Green Bay offense. And this was a Washington secondary that had some problems coming into this game. I mean, that was the main point of weakness for this Washington defense. Washington rushed for pretty much that entire game. They still got the safety. There was talk of adjustments that were made in the protection, but 
Washington just rushed four. It wasn't so much that Green Bay made adjustments or did things differently. They were just able to block four with five as that game went on. And then when you've got you know protection up front for Aaron Rodgers and he's got all day to run around back there like he did as that game went on, he's going to eventually find receivers. So I don't know if Green Bay can now come out of this game, go to Arizona, which is a tougher defense, a better secondary. They've got better players up front, I think. And to be able to do what they did against Washington. Like, I still have more questions than answers, I think. What about on the other side of the ball? I know that, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, we've talked about him as your white whale for uh, pretty much about a year and a half yeah, now. exactly. And Kirk Cousins, you know, again, let's, let's take this from the perspective. Someone doesn't watch the game. They see the stat line, 29 of 46 for 329 with a touchdown. They say, okay, Kirk Cousins had a good game. What's your, your sense when he watched the tape? I mean, I, I think... Washington on offense kind of did what they've basically been doing all season. They like to go some basic sort of passing concepts. They like to get Sean Jackson vertical. They like to get him, you know, working across the field on the mesh concept, like that touchdown that looked to be a touchdown and then doesn't get the ball across. And that kind of, you know, that may have played a role in how this game played out. But I mean, I mean, I think it was just a situation where, you know, they got stopped on a couple of drives that, you know, they needed to get points on. And then Green Bay's offense kind of took over. As far as Cousins specifically, first playoff start, I mean, I think it's a sour way for him to end his season. But down the stretch, he was one of the best quarterbacks, at least statistically, in the NFL. This was a great year for him. He's probably earned a nice contract deal, a nice extension. I mean, I think that this is one of those situations where a young team that wasn't expected to be in the playoffs at all made a nice big leap forward and has a lot to build on next season. And when you look at the landscape of the NFC East, you know, Tony Romo went down in Dallas. There's questions about the quarterback position. We've got, you know, regime changes underway here in Philadelphia and in New York with, you know, both coaches being gone. Does Washington become sort of the de facto team to beat in the NFC East next year? Probably. Yeah. And, and when you talk about Kirk Cousins here, you're talking about someone who turns uh, 28 right at the start of next season. So while you're probably not looking at someone who at this point is, you know, an upper echelon quarterback, you're at least looking at someone that having seen a full season of work, you can hand the ball to him and say, look, this is someone who's at least competent that's going to keep us in the game every week. Is that right? I mean, I think the biggest thing is now you know, Coach Gruden is going to look him in the eye when they have their like off-season meeting, you know, in the next day or so and say, this is your team now. Like RG3 is going to be gone. He's cleaned out his locker. He left that, he left that very interesting note in his locker for the reporters and didn't take any questions. This is Kirk Cousins' team. I'm sure it's going to be reflected in, you know, a contract extension and a new deal for him. So now it's so important at any position, but especially I think a quarterback to have the confidence of an organization behind you and not feel like you have to look over your shoulder. And I'm sure that, you know, maybe as the season went along, finally Cousins was able to breathe a little bit easy in terms of his, you know, job security. But when he first got the nod, there was still probably that nagging sense in the back of his head with every throw, every mistake. Am I going to get yanked? Am I going to get pulled? Is this the one that, you know, ends my season, ends, ends my job here? But now he's kept that off of his back. So I think it's, it's his team going forward, and that's going to do extremely good things for him. 30 seconds here. If you are Kirk Cousins' coach, if you're Jay Gruden heading into the offseason, what's the one thing you tell him to work on heading into 2016? One thing to work on. I mean, I think it's the thing that you probably tell most quarterbacks to work on. It's just to limit the mistakes. And again, it's a balancing act because you want to maintain aggression in the passing game. You want to take chances. You want to push the ball down the field. 
but you've got to be smart about doing it and balancing aggression and balancing, you know, being conservative with taking shots and, you know, managing risk. It's such a crucial element of playing the quarterback position and he needs to just, you know, keep getting better at doing that. Very good. Well, Mark, just about out of time for the day, I think. Nice and nice. You know, I like this new world format, man. It's great. I love it. Nice and tidy. Just so, yeah. uh, you know, everyone heading into work can get a quick look at what's, uh, you know, what are some of the big topics of the day. Yeah. And best part, we're right back at it again tomorrow. How about yeah. that? It's, it's going to be great. Another big show coming up. We've got some good guests out here. Yeah, we do have our uh, full-length 45-minute show coming up uh, tomorrow. We're going to have on, I believe, uh, who do we have? we got Luke Easterling coming on, yep. as well as, I believe, Alex Kazora is going to be coming on, talking a little bit about the Steelers and what to expect for them. Folks, we are done for today, though. Thanks for listening to Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. We'll be back at it tomorrow. Catch you then. <laughs>